if you have not yet signed up to get my blog, it is available to you. And I mention it. It's pastorrcrawford.wordpress.com. And I mention it because I put out a blog, a post, a couple of days ago that I would say is you could look at it either as a precursor to this morning's study or a companion to it. And I would encourage you, if you haven't read that, to go back perhaps this afternoon and read it because it, it follows along hand in hand with what we're talking about today. And that is the issue of peace, which has been a personal issue for me this week, from my wife's tweaked toe <laughs> to my dog's pulled paw. Separate events, by the way, not related. Uh, it's been an interesting few days, trying to get ready, ready for the Israel trip, you know, battening down the hatches at the home and getting everything uh, prepared. It's been a little crazy. It's been really crazy, actually, for Pastor Rick, especially because, uh, you know, it's evident when you start talking about yourself in the third person, you know, <laughs> you're a little stressed. You know, Rick's getting upset! <laughs> you know you're stressed. I found this online. I like this. You know you're stressed when family meetings begin with, put that, that gun down and then we'll talk. <laughs> it's never a good thing. <laughs> you know you're stressed when the school principal has your number on speed dial. <laughs> you know you're stressed when people have un, uh, trouble understanding you because of that tendency to speak through clenched teeth. <laughs> I'm fine, really, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> You know you're stressed when you're trying to get your four-year-old to switch to decaf. Now that's that's stress, you know, right there. Uh, you know you're stressed out when you actually spend time wondering if you can set your laser printer to stun. You know you're stressed if you find yourself staring at people at a, in a restaurant through the prongs of a fork, pretending they're all in jail. <laughs> You know you're stressed if you start wearing the t-shirt you normally sleep in at the beginning of the day to be ready for the end of the day. You know, it's under your clothes. No one knows, but you already got your pajamas on. You know, you are so looking forward to that opportunity. And I like this one. You really know you're stressed when the family cat is on Valium. That's stressed. Yeah. Maybe you're in that place this week. Not on Valium, but, but maybe you're in that place where you're a bit frazzled or fatigued, uh, where life is moving at an insane pace. Does anyone else feel like life is just moving faster? Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Maybe you're a bit weary. Uh, maybe it's more than that. Um, maybe it's not circumstantial stress, but maybe you cannot get peace in your life. Maybe it's elusive for you. Has the Lord got a word for you today? Isaiah 26, verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security, or literally for salvation. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the one that remains faithful. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you trust in the lord forever for in god the lord we have an everlasting rock lord we come to you again asking for more peace and seeking more of of that peace lord that can only come from you that that perfect sense of rest and contentment 
Now, Lord, you said that things would increase. You said knowledge would increase in the last days. There's an indication in Scripture, Lord, that the world would be speeding up. And we feel it. We do. There hardly seems to be time anymore to get anything done. And Lord, there are so many people who are wandering the streets and the pathways of this world with no peace whatsoever. Just the facade of success or the facade of happiness, Lord, the mask of everything being okay. And the reality is, Lord, we we need Jesus to have peace. And we know this, Lord. I've known this for years. And yet there are still those rambunctious weeks where you wonder, (laughs) how how can I settle all this down? And so, Jesus, I pray for your peace to come and rest over us this morning. I pray for it over the whole fellowship. Your peace for everyone who walks into the barn, for everyone, uh, Lord, who who is of our family. I pray for your peace for myself. I pray for peace, Father, for all those preparing to go to Israel or anyone preparing for any kind of travel or, or a busy week ahead. Lord, we just ask that your peace would settle on us by the power, Lord, of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just give us more insight into this and perhaps a firmer grasp on the peace that you offer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse 1 again says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. I love the phrase, in that day, because invariably when Isaiah uses that phrase, he's talking about the end times. Not just the end times, but the end of the end times. He's talking about the end of days. In that day, you will, you will hear Isaiah say many times, and he's referring to the time of the glorious return of Jesus. When I hear Isaiah say, in that day, my ear perks up. And I say, yes, what? In that day. That's when Jesus is going to come and he is going to execute judgment on the rebelliousness of this world. And he, Isaiah declares he will execute judgment on the oppressors of Israel as well. We should take note of that. The end of days. In that day when He'll restore the remnant of Israel to their land. When He'll establish His promised kingdom. Not my promise, His promise. He promised to establish a kingdom on the throne of David that would rule and reign the king out of Jerusalem. It's that time of peace, gang. Perfect peace. In that day. Heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. How many of you would like a little heaven on earth right now? (laughs) I could use some of that. Jesus prayed in Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I believe Jesus was teaching us as He taught His apostles how to pray. And in the midst of that prayer, when He said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that He was teaching us to pray for the coming kingdom. To align ourselves with the righteousness of God and say, Yes, Lord, come establish your throne. And to pray for that and to look forward to it and to long for it. And so we should. And I do. I look forward to that day. But do you ever long for some of that day today? I'd like some heaven on earth now, Lord. Can I pray your kingdom come, your will be done, and have immediate response to that? Can we have a little heaven on earth? Is it possible to experience heaven on earth at any level before He comes or until He comes. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses is teaching the children of Israel. 
And he's telling them, you got to keep the Word of the Lord. He says, impress these words of mine upon your heart and upon your mind. He said, this should be as, as frontals on, on the lobes of your brain. I mean, right up front, my Word should be there. And in your heart and on your doorposts. And the Jewish people have taken and, and tephilim and phylacteries and, and mezuzahs are the three items that they actually, little tephilim, that, the, or phylacteries, sorry, the box that goes on the forehead. And the tephilim to keep the word close to the heart. And the mezuzah, a little, a little thing that screws right into the front door and puts scriptures down inside of it. And Moses is talking about that, but, but it was deeper. It wasn't just about here, here, or the door. It was about the Word getting in. And in Deuteronomy 11, he says, the key to heaven on earth is impressing the Word of God into your lives. Moses literally says, if you will do that, if you will be in His Word, if you will impress the Word on your hearts, if you will walk in and live in His Word, you can have some heaven on earth. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 21. That your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Like heaven on earth. That's the way it's going to be in the coming kingdom. Heaven on earth. Will it be that way for us now? In the coming kingdom, and we've read this before, back in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised up above the hills and all the nations will stream to it, that is the Gentiles, and many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us concerning His ways, that we may walk in His paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and He will judge between the nations and He will arbitrate decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Peace. Peace on earth. And how? How is that achieved? How does that happen? Well, Jesus is present but also the people are saying let's go up to the house of the Lord that He may teach us. That He may impress upon us His Word. Jesus' teaching through the kingdom. And the presence of the Lord and the presence of His Word in this world at that time will bring about perfect peace. But there's a parallel. You don't have to wait for it, gang. You can have that kind of peace today. The peace of the kingdom. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the one that remains faithful. But that still doesn't answer the question of heaven on earth here and now. And in fact, if you think back, the children of Israel having been impressed with the word of the Lord and told if you keep his word, you can have some heaven on earth. How'd they do? (laughs) Not so well. See, the children of Israel didn't have heaven on earth. In fact, probably a little closer to hell on earth in the nation of Israel, in the experience of the Jewish people across history. We've talked about this many times. You're aware of this. The problem, gang, the reason why they never achieved or experienced true heaven on earth is because they couldn't keep the word that God commanded. They couldn't do it. If they had heaven on earth, but they were not able to. And and no one can. No one could. I mean, don't be among those who say, well, if I lived back in Israel in the day, I would have kept the law. I would have done it just right. I would have been the shining example. 
for everybody else to follow. No, you wouldn't have. You would have blown it too. You would have gone into captivity just like everybody else. Because we can't keep the law. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That something happens. And I just love this. And I'm thankful to, to see these things, share them with you this morning. We can experience some kingdom living right now. Now, I'm not saying the kingdom's come. The kingdom is coming. But we as citizens of that coming kingdom can live in kingdom authority, kingdom living right now. We can live in heaven on earth. We can experience this. What are you talking about, Rick? Listen, Titus 3, verse 5. Paul says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by, listen, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul reminds Titus that the deal is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The regeneration of the Holy Spirit does a marvelous thing in anybody's life. This is what happens when you give your life to the Lord. And you've ever wondered, you know, what happens to people when they say, I want to become a Christian? They say, Jesus, I believe in you. What's the next thing? What's the deal? Regeneration. Regeneration takes place. What does that mean? It's the word palingonasia. Palingonasia in the Greek means rebirth, renewal, restoration. That's what the word regeneration literally means. But here's what's marvelous. Paul says regeneration is what happens through Jesus Christ when someone becomes a Christian. Jesus uses the exact word to talk about the coming kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 28, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's telling this to the apostles. But he calls the coming kingdom the regeneration. Paul tells Titus, when you become a Christian, guess what happens? Regeneration. Same word. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying, heaven on earth happens when Jesus comes. But a little heaven on earth happens when I give my life to Him right now. The regeneration has already begun in me. It's already begun in you if you have given your life to Jesus Christ. Heaven on earth. It's that same time of perfect peace. The the kingdom. Perfect peace. Christians have have the access to that kind of peace. The renewal then, you can experience right now. Paul even said the Holy Spirit is like an advance on our inheritance. He said in Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given, listen, as a pledge of our inheritance. As a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. A pledge, gang, it's a down payment. The Holy Spirit in my life and your life is a down payment on the inheritance to come when we are called home to be with Jesus. What do you do when you get a down payment? I don't know about you, but I spend it. You know, it's a signing bonus. Sign up with Jesus. And He gives a down payment of the inheritance to come, which means you can start spending some of the inheritance now. Which means the peace then is already available to you right now. And it all begins when a person is born again by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the key element. Born again, and it begins. 
How many of you were born again 20, 30, 40 years ago, though, and, and you say, wow, that's fantastic, that's wonderful. Not feeling it. <laughs> Not feeling the peace. It's, it's still elusive to me. Listen, if, if you're frazzled and you're looking for peace and you've already given your life to Jesus, perhaps you need to go back to Jesus again. You're already saved. I'm not saying get, get re-saved. That's already a done deal. But go back to the Lord again and say, you know the peace that's promised? I'm lacking it. Lord, I, I need it. I need more. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 5 says, Let him rely on my protection. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. God says it twice. Anytime God says something two times, back to back in the Scriptures, it is emphatic. That's Hebrew writing. For the Jewish people, to, to double something up is to say, listen, don't miss this. This is incredibly important. Let him make peace with me. How do I make peace with God? Well, something has to come first. The Bible gives us a word for it. Grace. You realize in the Bible, grace always comes before peace. It's always grace and then peace. Never peace and then grace. I got peace, and now I'm going to go ask God for some grace. No, it's grace first. Always grace first. Before we can even talk about peace, we have to go through grace. Paul pairs these two words 13 times in his letters in the New Testament. Peter uses these two words in both of his letters. Paul uses these two words in two of his. 1 Corinthians 1.3 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.2 May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 John to the seven churches that are in Asia Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne. That's the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. If you don't get grace, you will never have peace. And I mean that two ways, gang. If you don't get grace, that is, if you don't receive grace, you will never have peace. But there's another way to look at it, Christians. Listen, if you don't understand grace, you're never going to understand peace. You've got to understand what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense, someone said. God doing everything that I cannot do, which basically is everything. God preparing and making the whole way His grace. And I watch Christians wallow in guilt and sin and remorse and shame. And I go, wait a minute, do you understand grace? You know, not that we shouldn't confess. Not that we shouldn't repent. But that we do so recognizing His grace is so, is so huge. It's an ocean of grace. It's grace upon grace. More than we could ever need. And if you're wondering why you don't have peace, perhaps the reason is you're, you're misunderstanding grace a little bit. Grace and peace. If you don't get the grace of God, you need to start right there. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Can I repeat that? Not as a result of works. So that no man can boast. Grace first. And then peace. That's why peace often eludes us, is we miss grace. And we're working to get it done. And there's no peace in that. There never will be peace in that. The work should flow from the grace. I'm doing it because, wow, I can't do anything else. Grace, then peace. But going on. Verse 3, the steadfast of mind 
you will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. I love this promise. I've gone back to it a couple hundred times this week. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. I'm basking that for a minute, will you? Repeat this to yourself through the day. Perfect peace. Steadfast of mind. You will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. You know, peace is the most common greeting of the Jewish people. Shalom. That's the one. You'll hear it all the time. Those of you going to Israel, you hear it all the time. Shalom, 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 shalom. And sometimes I wonder if the use of the word shalom for a greeting doesn't uh, water it down a bit and make it common. Kind of like my wife and I, we say I love you to, to each other all the time. If we hang up the phone and say I love you. If, if, we, if I'm leaving to go somewhere, it's I love you. We always, we always work it in just in case one of us dies and then we know the last thing we said. <laughs> was There's not a lot of peace in that. <laughs> but every now and then we stop and look each other in the eye and say, no, no, really, I love you. Okay, I got it. It's not just a departure. <laughs> Shalom. Shalom, this common greeting. It's more common than the Hebrew phrase uh, phrase for good morning, broken toe. It's more common than that. (laughs) Shalom. The word shalom in the Hebrew, we talked about a few weeks back, but let me remind you of it. It means complete well-being. It is the Hebrew word for wholeness. In in mind, in body, in spirit. It's, It's the whole package, the whole deal. Even sound health. This is interesting. Joseph's brothers came before him in Pharaoh's court. Remember the whole story of Joseph, how they, they threw him into a pit and pretended he was dead and he ended up getting taken into slavery and then sold and then he was in, in Egypt and then he was in prison. And ultimately, though, he ends up second only to Pharaoh, which is just so cool. Second to Pharaoh in Egypt. And then his brothers come to him because they're starving. There's famine in the land of Canaan. So they come down into Egypt and they come before him. They don't even recognize him. They don't realize this is Joseph sitting before them. They think this is just some, you know, major guy, prime minister dude of Egypt. And so Joseph doesn't want them to know that it's him yet. He sees them and he knows exactly who they are, you know. And, uh, he, but he wants to know how Jacob's doing, his dad. He wants to ask, how's dad? And so he kind of asked his way around it. He asked them about their welfare, Genesis 43, 27. And then he said, is your old father well of whom you spoke? He said, is your old father Shalom of whom you spoke? Is he alive and kicking? (laughs) Is he physically fit? Is he healthy? Shalom then can be an indication of physical health. Not that physical health guarantees Shalom, by the way. I've known some pretty stressed out gym rats. (laughs) And I've also known some enjoyers of fine food who were very relaxed people. So, you know, it's not just working out that's going to do it for you. In fact, one of my favorite verses, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8, bodily discipline is only of a little profit. I'm like, yes! But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. If you eat right, if you work out, if you take care of your body, guess what? You're going to (laughs) die. Just like everybody else. Only you're going to die with, you know... Running shoes on and sweat on your face while I'm going to be dying with a Twinkie in my mouth. Totally different thing. Thank you. 
my sister. So, you know, I'm not saying don't work out. I'm not saying don't take care of your body. Your body's the temple of the Lord. Absolutely take care of yourselves. But, but that's not the deal. You're not going to find peace there. And I know because I've seen the looks on the faces of people in the gym, you know. This is not peaceful. I'm going to get there, you know. I watched Jake go through a cleanse. There was no peace on his face. For a month. I was going to change his name to Mel Haggard because he just didn't look good, you know. It's not physical well-being only. And that's the thing with shalom. It's, it's everything. Mind, body, and spirit. It is peace, gang, that is not superficial or circumstantial. That's another problem uh, among Christians and non-Christians alike. I want peace this week. I just want peace with my son or peace with my daughter or peace with my wife. You know, No, those are circumstances. And they will ebb and flow. I want peace in my marriage. Sometimes you'll have peace in your marriage. Sometimes you won't. Because life is rocky and difficult. Peace that is all-encompassing. That's shalom. That's the kind of peace God's talking about. Not as the world gives. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But I want to show you something here. Isaiah goes beyond shalom, the greeting shalom, or perhaps the physical shalom, or perhaps even just the spiritual shalom. He goes beyond that. Isaiah calls it perfect peace. Note that in verse 3. He will keep you in perfect peace. You know what that is in the Hebrew? Shalom, shalom. He just uses the word shalom twice. And the translators are like, how do we translate that? You will be kept in peace, peace? Yes. Because again, the Hebrew language, emphasis. You will not just be kept in peace. You will be kept in peace squared. (laughs) Peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. It is a double portion of peace that the Lord offers. Remember how Elisha said of Elijah, I want a double portion of his spirit. I want a double portion of his power. And Elijah ended up becoming, or Elisha became more powerful than Elijah before him. This is peace, peace. The double portion. Kind of like grace upon grace. You know, John wrote, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Emphasizing the double portion of grace. So much grace you cannot outgrace it. And this is shalom upon shalom. Doubled up. As opposed to, you know, like a double shot of espresso. It's a double shot of peace. No jitters and no letdown. (laughs) You know, you can have your double shot of espresso and get a lot done for about two hours. And then you crash. Peace, peace. Shalom, shalom. is just all-encompassing. This is what God offers. People try yoga. It just looks painful to me. <laughs> and they try the, the old, the, the, the humming word. What is the, the for the om? Om. You know what om is? Om is a, a, a pagan belief. Om is what pagans believe was the first word of creation. Om, and that's what created the world. That's how it all began. Yeah. No peace there. Meditation. You know, serenity now! <laughs> and even in Christianity... This, this idea of, of Eastern meditation or centering prayer has seeped into Christianity because people are looking for this elusive peace and all the while God's saying, I have shalom, shalom for you. And it doesn't 
focus you on getting into a bent into some weird position or saying some strange thing. In 1968, some of you may remember this, the Beatles made their highly publicized trip to Rishikesh, India. All four of the guys, they went there for a six-month course in transcendental meditation. They stayed at the ashram of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, <laughs> who went on to play a, a famous bear. <laughs> He's a, this guy was a popular figure in the time, this, this yogi from India, this Maharishi. So the Beatles go, right? And they arrive there, and at first everything was, was really clicking for them. It seemed to be going well. They're in this place, they're all wearing their little white outfits, they got the flowers in their hair, and they are writing songs. In fact, some say that was one of the most prolific seasons of songwriting for the Beatles. They wrote like 40 songs within a month, many of them that, that went on several of the following albums. It seemed like maybe they had finally found some peace. You remember, Beatlemania before all this was so insane. That they stopped touring. They were just done. So then they go off thinking, well, we'll get peace here. And they arrive in this place in India, and they stay there, and Ringo Starr left after ten days because he was so sick of the flies and the food. And the Maharishi told Ringo at that time, he said, well, the deeper you get into the state of consciousness, the more you don't worry about the flies. And Ringo said, yeah, well, the state of consciousness doesn't zap any flies, does it? (laughs) So he left. (laughs) Ten days, Ringo's done. Paul McCartney left after one month. Why? Well, he was citing other obligations, but he was fed up with it. It wasn't what he thought. George Harrison and John Lennon lasted two months of this six-month stay. It was supposed to be a six-month deal. They finally left over disputes with the Maharishi involving money because he wanted 25% of their next album sales to be as high to him. They said, not going to happen. There was a sex scandal involving the Maharishi and some young female students in his ashram. And drugs. The Beatle wanted to use and the Maharishi didn't want them to. So, <laughs> Sex, drugs, and money was the issue there. Two years later, the Beatles broke up. In intense infighting and personal clashes, they hated each other. They would not talk for years. What happened to the peace? Ten years later, John Lennon was shot dead by a crazy fan. Seeking peace. He was the one who was saying, all we're saying is give peace a chance. But he never got his fingers on it. And the world doesn't get their fingers on it. So much for peace. All human attempts to find peace on earth are superficial and temporary. And then Jesus comes along and says, but I've got shalom, shalom for you. Not like the world. In fact, notice this. This could be... It could just be me. I, I see something here. On the night he was betrayed, you remember what Jesus said to the apostles, John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Shalom, shalom. He repeats himself. I give you shalom, shalom. This is what I'm talking about. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Shalom, shalom. And it's not just any peace. Note that. The peace we're talking about here this morning, this is the peace Jesus says, is my peace. My peace I give to you. What does that look like? It's always been at the center of God's work. 
after the temple was built, and actually before that, in the tabernacle, you may recall how things worked. In the outer court, there was constant sacrificial offerings of blood on the brazen altar, lots of busyness, people coming and going, things happening in the holy place. There was the lamp lighting and the incense burning and the, and the bread on the table, and the priests were in and out of there, and they're praying and they're doing their thing. A lot of flurry of activity. And then you get into the Holy of Holies. Peace. It was absolutely silent in there. Can you imagine being the high priest and once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, you go into the Holy of Holies on tiptoes? <laughs> Absolute peace in the center of all this ministry. That's Jesus. That is such a picture of Jesus. Absolute peace in the center of a flurry of ministry. Jesus compared Himself to the temple. Remember that John chapter 2, verse 19? Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it took 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Unlike the temple, guys, he says, the Hebrew writer makes a direct comparison between the temple and Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 10. Everywhere Jesus went, at teaching and healing and ministering, up early, late to bed, Surrounded by people, everyone wanting to touch Him, everyone wanting a piece of Jesus, everyone wanting to be in contact with Him. This constant flurry, friends and enemies alike, always coming at Him, and He was tested, and He was tried. But I can't think of a person who walked in more peace than Jesus Christ. Because at the center of the ministry, at the center of the flurry, was absolute peace. And Jesus says, My peace I give to you. It doesn't matter how crazy life gets around you. There can be a tornado of activity. But I offer you shalom, shalom, my peace. His peace was so great, He even calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee by saying, Hush! In all of this, Jesus has shalom, shalom. With one exception, by the way, one time where we see Jesus not in perfect peace. Only once. In Gethsemane. As He stared down your sin and mine, Luke 22.44 says, being in agony, he prayed, he prayed very fervently. His sweat became like drops of blood falling upon the ground. That word agony, it's, it's anguish. Agonia in the Greek. It literally means angst and anguish and sorrow and struggle. And it's the only time Jesus was ever stressed out. The only time. And even then it was just for a moment. As the Son of Man struggled with the reality before Him, Even then, just hours later, he stood before Pontius Pilate in Shalom, Shalom. Perfect peace. If anyone was freaking out in the conversation between Jesus and Pilate, it was Pilate. He was seriously stressed. Jesus was in perfect peace. He was sleep deprived. He was beaten, stripped, bloodied, mutilated. The Bible says unrecognizable. There's some indication by prophecy that his beard had been ripped out. That his face was so swollen that if you looked at him, you wouldn't be sure if that was really Jesus or not. And in that condition, we're told, Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Peter explains that more, 1 Peter 2.24, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Absolute peace. Who would not like that kind of peace? To have the power of the world coming at you and against you, in venomous hatred for you, to have people shouting, crucify Him, and to stand there in peace. Now I'm talking about all this to say this. Remember, Jesus said, My peace I give to you. That's the peace He offers. That's not like anything else that anybody else can give. You want to have that kind of peace? The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So if you are a temple and the Spirit of Jesus makes His home in you, guess what He brings to the center of who you are? Peace. Shalom. Shalom. Perfect peace. How do I tap into that? I would love to walk in shalom, shalom, in the peace of Jesus, no matter what's happening, to just be with the Lord. Look at verse 3 one more time. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. There are two words he uses in this verse that I want you to see. The first is steadfast. It's the Hebrew word samach. And samach means (laughs) to lay upon, to rest upon, to lean upon. Kind of like John at the Last Supper, supper, leaning his his head up against Jesus' breast. Samach. So, the samach of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Don't misunderstand that. You read that and go, steadfast in mind. Well, that's my problem. I'm not steadfast enough. Hey, the word steadfast just means lay your head upon the Savior. Rest on Him. Those who have their minds resting on Jesus, I will keep in perfect peace. Peace, it it doesn't come from you. It comes from the one who gives it. Turning your Bibles over to Philippians chapter 4 for a moment. Comes right before Colossians, right after Galatians. No, Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 5, yeah. It's in the Eons. Just go to the Eons section, Scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. By the way, if you're a note taker, you might jot down. What we're talking about here now is peace of mind. The steadfast of mind, Isaiah says. It's this peace of mind. How do I get peace of mind? And this is where it starts. Samach, to lay upon. To re- that means my thoughts. My thoughts and my, my thinking and my mentality and my intellect and my will resting upon Jesus. Resting upon Him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Stop right there. This is not the kind of peace the world offers. This is the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. And here's the problem. My flesh doesn't want that kind of peace. My flesh does not want a peace that surpasses comprehension. My flesh wants peace that comes from comprehension. Explain it to me, and then I'll be at peace. Give me understanding, and then I'll be alright. 
God says, that's not the kind of peace I'm, I'm offering here. Yeah, but I want to know how it works. This whole issue with the Holy Spirit. I want to know exactly how He comes on a person and what that looks like. I want it laid out for me and clarified and expressed and explained to the satisfaction of my comprehending mind and then maybe I'll seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. Because the Lord offers a peace that surpasses comprehension. It's not a peace you can wrap your fingers around. It's a peace you rest your mind upon. You bring your petitions to God. You come to Him in prayer. But your mind... You rest in Him. I don't understand everything, Lord. I don't get it. But I know You do. So I'm just going to rest my mind on You. It's a peace that goes beyond understanding. Surpasses all comprehension. And watch this. will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Shalom, shalom is peace of mind. Shalom, shalom is also peace of heart. Go back to Isaiah 26 now. The steadfast of mind, the samach of mind, those who rest their minds on the Lord, you will keep in perfect peace. Not those figuring it out, those who just rest in the Lord. This is faith, gang. It's just trusting Him. Samach, the peace of mind. And he says... You will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. Peace of heart. Because He trusts in you. Trust, listen, is not a mental thing. Trust is a heart level thing. Trust is a decision that you make in your spirit, not in your mind. Your mind gathers a certain amount of facts, but at some point with Jesus, you have to say, I know all this, but I'm going to step out and trust Him for all the things that I don't know. For everything that I don't understand, I'm going to trust that Jesus knows what's best for me. That He understands all things. So whether or not I do is beside the point. I'm going to trust Him. It is a heart-level decision. Peace of heart. So peace begins, note this, with steadfast mind, laying your thoughts, laying your mind, samak, upon Jesus. But to experience that peace, perfect peace, shalom, shalom, it's got to get down in the heart. Heart is where trust really takes root. It's where faith is birthed and, and nurtured and grown. It's, it's my spirit. And Paul says this, Romans 10.10, with the heart a person believes. Not with the head. With the head we gather facts. Comprehension. But with the heart I finally step into belief and say, you know, it's true. He, he is true. I believe you. And with the mouth he confesses, Paul says, resulting in salvation. The Hebrew word for trust is interesting. It, remind, it, it rhymes, actually. The word for steadfast there, samak, to lay upon. The word for trust is batak. And batak is confidence, security. It's to feel safe. Because he trusts in you. Because he's confident in you. Because he feels safe in you. Do you feel safe in Jesus? Oh, yeah. I mean, amen. It, it, life starts to, to swirl and everything, and if we can, in those moments, just go, ah, but Jesus. All I need to do is hear Jesus' name. That's all I need. I was working at a place, this was years and years ago, I was working in a temp agency in a summer off from college. And it was a bad day. And I was stressed out. And they had me doing all kinds of things. I didn't know what I was doing. And, and I went into the break room and I had ten minutes to, to have a break. And, and I sat down, and I'm looking at the newspaper, 
And it's, all the headlines were just brutal. And I put that aside. I was like, ah! <laughs> and the radio was playing. And someone, some Christian, had turned it to a Christian channel. <laughs> They're always doing that, you know? <laughs> you know when they've driven your car because you turn on the radio? Oh, it's on the Christian station. <laughs> and I heard the word. I heard the name Jesus. And I, I kid you not, in that moment, it was like, everything just went. I'm like, yeah. Jesus. And I just sat there going, Jesus, you are so good. It's all about Jesus. He brings that, that peace to me. It's, it's my, my mind resting upon Him. And it's my heart feeling safe in Him, confident in Him. I like how Kyle and Delich translate that, that word there, trust, talk. They translate it to hang on God. Just hang on God. You lean into Him. You hang on Him. Put it together. Samach to lean into, but talk to hang on to. So a steadfast mind and a trusting heart means leaning into and hanging on to God. And in that gang we have shalom, shalom. That's a peace that I can really trust. And I can do that, by the way, because He's my rock. Look at verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. So peace of mind, peace of heart, and, and number three, the peace of the rock. This is the real peace of the rock. The peace that comes by putting my full, my full mental capacity and, and my heart just laying it on Him. Trusting Him. What I love about this picture here of the, of the rock is Isaiah includes all three aspects of the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all in verse 4. Check this out. The name of the Lord is called out three times in verse 4. He says, trust in the Lord, Yahweh, forever. For in God, Yah, the Lord, Yahweh, we have an everlasting rock. Yahweh, Yah, Yahweh, is what Isaiah says here. Well, that's kind of interesting. Yahweh, Yah, Yahweh. Remember I told you that in in the Hebrew, that doubling up a word makes it especially well emphasized? When you triple up a word, (laughs) it's off the charts. This is massively important. Amazingly, some commentators think this is a scribal error. Someone was writing along, and they and they and they were writing, and they wrote, "Yeah, Yahweh, Yah, uh, oops, well, okay, Yahweh." <laughs> a scribal error, a mistake, and and I say to that, eh, "Thanks for playing." <laughs> Wrong. That completely misses what Isaiah is saying, what Isaiah said. And by the way, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the scroll of Isaiah, it says Yahweh, Yah, Yahweh. Just as it does in the book before you. What's the point? Perfect peace gain is the emphatic work of Yahweh, God the Father. Of Yah, God the Son. Of Yahweh, God the Spirit. All three are involved. All three personalities bring shalom, shalom. Now you might say, okay, I get Yahweh for God. And I even get Yahweh for the Spirit because it's the Spirit of the Lord. Why is it only Yah when you're talking about Jesus the Son? Well, Yah is the God aspect of Jesus' name. Jesus' name is Yahshua. Yah, God, Shua, salvation. Yahshua, God saves, salvation. You midweek Bible students, you know in verse 1, the word security there at the end of verse 1 also translates salvation, and that word is Yeshua. 353 times the Hebrew Scriptures use the word salvation or security or help, and in every one of those instances, the word is Yeshua, Jesus. He is salvation. 
But the reason why it would be Yahweh, God the Father, Yah, God the Son, and Yahweh, God the Spirit, is Yah is the first half of Jesus' name. Yahshua. And so I believe that all three are mentioned here. And it is Yahshua who gives grace upon grace, and He follows it up with peace upon peace. Now, I've given you a lot to think about in your, in your minds. We need to move it from here to here. We got to get out of the. We got to take this now, rest it upon Jesus, so that our hearts can fully trust Him. I want to show you one last thing, and we're done this morning. Turn over to John chapter twenty. John twenty. Peace is not a momentary thing. Shalom, shalom is not circumstantial. In fact, it was not only the message that Jesus brought on the night before His crucifixion when He said, Peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. I do not give to you as the world gives. It's also the message He brought on the day of the resurrection. Look at verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week... Uh, and the doors, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, "Peace be with you." Now, now back up a second. I love that the resurrection happened on Sunday, don't you? And I was thinking about it this week. Sunday was not the day of rest. Saturday was. Why didn't the resurrection happen on a Saturday? Why didn't it happen on Shabbat? Because that's the day of rest. That was, you know, God rested and, and the resurrection happens and, and we can enter into his rest. Why not have the resurrection on Shabbat instead of Sunday, the first day of the week, the work week? You know what? It's perfect. Because Jesus came bringing peace on the first day of work. He comes bringing you peace and bringing me peace in our work. Not just on the day that's set aside for rest, but he says, no, no, no. Peace on the first day of the week. For us, it tends to be Monday. We try, we take Sundays off. You know, we've kind of shifted the thing a little bit. But in, in Hebrew thinking, hey, Sunday was the first day. Everyone's going back to work. You know, it was just another manic Sunday in the Hebrew. You know, <laughs> and so on that day of work, where we're getting shaken off the weekend and trying to get back to work, that's when Jesus comes walking in and he says, he says, peace be with you. It's the perfect peace of Jesus. Listen, don't miss this. We rest while He works. That's shalom, shalom. What do you mean? Isaiah 26.12 says, Lord, You will establish peace for us since You also have performed for us all our works. Don't miss that. You've established rest. You've established peace because You've done the work. And the Hebrew writer picks up on that, Hebrews 4.10, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. How many times do we get stressed out about things that are his work? And what's going to happen to the church for the three weeks that, that I'm gone and Les is gone and Brian's gone and we got shepherds gone and, and uh, you know, the only person here to preach next week is Jake? What's going to happen? <laughs> I love you, man. I'll tell you something. If I didn't have full confidence in Jake, he would not be preaching next Sunday. But 
We work so hard when there is not when it's not our work to do. We worry so much when it is not ours to worry about. Jesus said, I will build my church. And it just cracked me up. I actually haven't heard this in a while, and I'm so thankful that, for this, but first three or four years of the bridge, the, the comment came up two or three times, what would happen if Pastor Rick died? Which, A, I didn't like thinking about. You know, and two, it's none of their business. And D, <laughs> no, I mean, what, what do you mean, what would happen if Pastor Rick died? Who cares what would happen if Pastor Rick died? God is building his church, right? And so it doesn't depend on any one person. And it's not my work, it's his work. If we could just understand that, I think we'd make a little more room for shalom, shalom. So anyway, the apostles are there. It's the first day of the week, the, the first day of the work week. The apostles, by the way, they're locked in. Note that, they are fearful. And they are unbelieving. They've already heard now from the women that Jesus is not in the tomb. But faith has not yet entered the picture. So they're double sinning here. Let's just call it what it is. They are in fear for their lives, which is sin. And they are unbelieving, which is sin. And Jesus comes to them, stood in their midst, which I think means He just came right through the wall. I love that. And He said to them, Shalom. Shalom be with you. Amazing. Now, had I been Jesus, resurrected in that moment, and I came and stood among the fearful, unbelieving apostles, my first word probably would have been, Repent! (laughs) Confess! You losers! (laughs) Peter! Betrayer! Where's Thomas? He's not even here! (laughs) Yes, I'm alive! See, that's the flesh. Jesus shows up and the first words out of his mouth, and this was not a Hebrew greeting for him. The first thing he said was, Shalom be with you. Wow. Peace. And and then he says it again. Because they're all like, (laughs) And when he had said this, he said, it it says he, uh, wait a minute, did I miss it? And and when, when he had said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side, And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace! Second time. Second portion. Shalom be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Did you notice Jesus gave them just two things by which they might have shalom, shalom. He first says peace, and then he says peace again. But he does two things to bring this shalom, shalom to bear in their lives. He he showed them his wounds, and he gave them his spirit. First he showed them his wounds, proof that he did die. Proof that everything they saw did in fact happen. That he had accomplished for them the sacrifice necessary. And once you know that sacrifice has been paid for you, here comes peace. And then... He breathed on them and brought His Spirit. Peace, peace. In His death and by His breath, we have peace. In that sacrifice and by His Spirit, we have perfect peace. Shalom, shalom.